Gar and I, as you know, as we sit here together and, and talk about this, we, we understand accountability and we are accountable for what this team did this year. We don't run away from it. We accept it. Uh, that's that's on us. Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Your number one source for Chicago Bulls news and stories. For me to be here in the NBA organization, such a historic organization that Chicago Bulls, so it's just a dream come true for me. Live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. This is going to be a process. It doesn't, you'll snap your fingers and it all happens at once, but um, that's the plan moving forward. So kick back, relax, and get ready for the best hour of your day. Locked on Bulls starts now. Here are your hosts, Jordan Malley and Matt Peck. What's up and welcome into Locked on Bulls, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. We're live on Dash Radio, Dash Radio.com and the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Net channel. We're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. I'm your host, Jordan Malley, writer of Bulls Basketball and NBA at FanRag Sports and College Buckets over at SB Nation. Along with me is Matt Peck, Bulls writer at FanRag Sports and the host of the 312 Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, on social media at Jordan C. Malley, at Bulls underscore Peck and at Locked on Bulls. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked on Shy Bulls. And subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. Make sure you're following the Locked On Podcast Network on Facebook and Twitter as well. Text and voicemail line, hit us up, say what's up to us at 331-979-1369. Leave all of your texts and voicemails, your questions, comments, anything you want to react to while you're listening to the show, wherever you're listening to the show. 331-979-1369. So on today's episode, we want to take a look real quick at a preview of the Rockets tonight, what's going to go on, and hopefully the Bulls don't get murdered, and we are also going to do this week in Bulls history, a lot of jam-packed good stuff in this week's in, in Bulls history for you guys today. And then at the end of the show, I am going to tell you why Chris Dunn should be considered one of the three or four players to be considered for comeback player of the year in the NBA this year. But Matt, what's going on? Are you excited for this Rockets-Bulls matchup tonight? Um, obviously, no James Harden. I don't know if you saw that or not, but no James Harden tonight. Uh, Lowry Markinen is questionable to play. Yeah, we're not going to get a whole lot of star power in this game either the Bulls mini star power or the Rockets real star power not only are they resting hard and I'm pretty sure they're also planning on resting Clint Capella I think uh, last I heard CP3 is a game time decision he might also sit out and I don't think that'll really make much of a difference and the Rockets still as a team have enough to beat these Bulls fairly easily let alone without the fact that the Bulls will be without Zach Levine Chris Dunn, Antonio Blakeney, Paul Zipser, uh, and right now Markkinen and Denzel are both game-time decisions. Markkinen with that nagging back injury and Denzel Valentine with a sore knee. So the Bulls could be very shorthanded in this one. Who knows, we might actually see a couple of those new signees getting some minutes uh, tonight. And it'll be probably a game that the Bulls lose fairly, you know, by a very wide margin. We saw the uber-tanking Memphis Grizzlies lose to Charlotte by, like, 61 points last week. Do you remember seeing that <laughs> yeah. final score? That was crazy. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping the Bulls can keep it to a more respectable final, score, final margin than that. But even if they do rest their big three of Capella, Harden, and CP3, I think the Bulls, without 
all of their players that they're missing won't have much of a chance tonight. Yeah, I think you're going to get to see not only Sean Kilpatrick is going to join the team, but you're also going to see C.J. Fair. You're going to see guys like probably Jarrell Eddy get some minutes. You're going to see Archie Diacono get minutes too as well. Um, so a lot, just it's going to be a miss, a mishmash of Bulls players, Bulls players who have played probably less than 15 games for this Chicago Bulls team. So it's going to be a very interesting Bulls game tonight. But in terms of playoff preview, talking just talking about a preview of looking at not only the Rockets, but we got to see a Bucks team earlier this week. Just kind of a review. I feel like the Bulls are playing a lot of playoff teams heading into the final seat final stretch of this season the last 10 games or so um this Rockets team is very interesting and I think it's gotten a lot more interesting in the last few days now with Steph Curry being out and having to reevaluate his knee in three weeks anytime you get some type of knee injury and we talked about this with Kyrie even before the news about him having that small procedure done on his knee uh minimally invasive I said you know like anytime you do a knee surgery two three four weeks out outside of the playoffs I mean that's never good especially for a guy who's had knee problems in the past um another this is a bad time for Steph Curry they said that he's going to miss the first round of the playoffs he's hoping he comes back but I think this is another wedge in this Golden State team now that you're looking around and you know, I have no, I have no reservations about them trying to escape the first round. I think they'll do, they'll do fine with that. But they're going to need a whole entire healthy team to beat this Rockets core because this Rockets team has been fantastic, phenomenal all year. Do you have any question marks about James Harden going into the playoffs and whether or not he'll show up? Because I mean, remember last year where in that game six we saw a like a ghost of James Harden. So, any concerns with this Rockets team going in? Do you think? that this is going to be the year Golden State doesn't make it back to the finals. What are your thoughts on sort of the West playoffs? Yeah, I mean, I'm very intrigued, even with some of the first-round matchups. And, you know, nothing is set in stone yet. There's still a lot of teams, you know, really uh, four through eight in the West is up for grabs as far as where each team will end up being seeded. And there are certain teams that you just don't want to play in the first round if you're somewhere in the top four. I mean, San Antonio, after a little lull, has come on strong, even still with the ongoing uncertainty of whether or not Kawhi Leonard will be a part of this team once they come to the playoffs. They... Uh, they have played well recently. The Utah Jazz have been on a tear uh, after the All-Star break. Minnesota, if they manage to hang on in time for Jimmy Butler to come back. I mean, they had that really ugly loss to Memphis last night. I mean, that uh, that certainly didn't help their cause. Obviously, the Pelicans have also been playing well. How about the Portland Trailblazers? Probably look like one of the best teams in the league over the last month or so. You got Russ and Paul George and Mello with the Thunder. They're currently in the four. There's a lot of interesting potential matchups in the West, but you're right. I mean, it, it all comes down to, I think, whether or not Houston can beat Golden State if it is those two teams that end up in the conference finals against one another. And I just think back to the 2016 NBA Finals and the playoff run that Golden State had where Steph Curry, when not 100% healthy, the Warriors blew a 3-1 to lead. 
against the Cavs. And credit to the incredible performance that LeBron gave in those 2016 NBA Finals. I mean, it was unreal. He led all players on both teams in points, rebounds, assists, steals, block. Like, he did it, he did it all. It was an incredible performance from LeBron. But the only reason that that was even able to happen is because the Warriors were playing with a hampered Steph Curry. So if Steph does come back after the first round but is not 100% healthy or is at least even a little bit rusty, that definitely opens the window for a Houston Rockets team that that I think is better than the 2016 Cleveland Cavaliers that beat Golden State in seven games. So it's, you know, the other question mark, as you mentioned, is what kind of performance we'll get from James Harden throughout these playoffs and into the conference finals, assuming they make it there. Because he is far and away the runaway winner for MVP this season. He has had a phenomenal year, but he has not yet, since being the guy in Houston, been able to get them over that hump of getting through into the NBA Finals. I can't wait to see if this is the year that they they do it. But another thing to think about is the Warriors, with a less than 100% Steph Curry, lost to Cleveland in 2016, but that Warriors team also did not have Kevin Durant. So even still, I feel like you have to give Golden State the edge if Steph is at least back in some capacity. But man, I mean, whichever way it pans out, all I know is that I want seven games of Warriors versus Rockets. That's what I want. The fact that Clay Thompson had this injury and Draymond Green's been sitting out and he's been dealing with an injury and now Steph, too, like this team is going to end up going into the playoffs probably not 100% healthy. They're going to have to rely on a lot of those guys that have stepped up during the regular season. You saw like when the Warriors were border, they were sitting guys. They were allowing guys like Nick Young and Jordan Bell and some of these other role players to get a chance to play out there, and they're really going to need help from them in this first round. Like, yeah, they probably will escape the first round, but, I mean, their first-round matchup is going to be tough. If they have to play anyone like the Utah Jazz, who've been on fire the last two months, um, or the Timberwolves, or the Spurs, or even the Pelicans, there's still a lot of movement with nine games left in this West playoffs, so we could see we could see some type of movement. But that Utah Jazz or the Timberwolves team, if they do, in fact, get Jimmy Butler back, um, could be difficult in that first round. Could you imagine the shitstorm if the Golden State Warriors lost in the first round with Kevin Durant being the only player on that floor? So say it's like Kevin Durant and Draymond Green are healthy to play in this first round. Klay Thompson and Steph Curry are still out. Could you imagine the shitstorm Kevin Durant would get if they got knocked out in that first round? Not saying it's going to happen, but I think NBA Twitter in itself would absolutely explode if he wasn't able to get out of the first or even the second round by himself without Steph Curry. Um, So there'd be a lot of storylines. The other thing I wanted to touch on real quick because you brought it up is the Trailblazers because their backcourts if Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum have been absolutely amazing especially the last four five six weeks I mean I think between them and the Raptors backcourt and Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan 
those have two those are two backcourts that have come alive and I think are now getting serious attention and serious you know notoriety around the league and I think it, this is going to be the season that I think we need to see whether or not these two backcourts are for real and like we talked about the Toronto Raptors last week and whether or not Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan are going to be able to pull it off this year uh, as the number one seed having home court advantage but I really like this Portland Trailblazers team I like what they are doing there and we talked about it too like the evolution of what the Bulls could be and I talked about it like would you would you mind if the Bulls ended up in best case scenario turning into a backcourt of like John Wall and CJ Mc, or John Wall and Bradley Beal or is this more of a Damian Lillard CJ McCollum type of thing uh, in terms of building up your future of what Chris Dunn and Zach Levine together could be there um, but very interesting these guys have come up they've had a lot of struggles you look at Damian Lillard CJ McCollum where they came from same with DeMar DeRozan and even Kyle Lowry like two phenomenal stories in the NBA that I don't think get enough attention of, of where they came from and how hot they are right now um, but this West playoffs is going to be a whole hell of a lot of fun and even even the East too I think like looking at the 76ers did you get a chance to watch Markel Fultz at all last night I did yeah he uh, obviously had a little bit of a rough start trying to shake off some of that rust but he ended up having a pretty efficient night uh, you know, he bricked his first few shots, but then he found his stroke later uh, in the latter stages of the game and also looked pretty decent as a as a distributor. I think he also tallied up like six assists or maybe eight assists, some something uh, along those lines. So I, I'm, I'm really excited to see what that Philly team could do in the playoffs as well. If, if they have Markel Fultz playing at a high level of confidence, along with what Simmons and Embiid and Dario Saric and all, all the other people on that Sixers team have been doing all season long... And you know this is something that I tweeted out after uh, watching the the latter part of that Sixers game last night is that th- they could catch Cleveland for the three seed fairly easily. I think they're only a game back right now, and you know Cleveland is playing without some of their key pieces that they're trying to get healthy for the playoff run. Could you imagine if Philly leapfrogs Cleveland and then Cleveland has to end up playing Toronto uh, in the second round? I mean. Yikes. Between that and like that's crazy too. It's like the 76ers have been on a seven game win streak. The Cavs have won five in a row. So we talked about the West Plus and like you can't even count off the Pacers either. The Pacers are only a game and a half behind the Cleveland Cavaliers for that third spot too. So there could be a lot of movement between that three and five seed in the Eastern Conference before all things are said and done. Like we said, still nine games left in this season. So a lot of movements. Keep your eyes on that three through five seed. And even at the bottom of the Eastern Conference playoffs, like you've got a little bit of a gap between the Pacers at the five seed and the Wizards at the six. You've got about a three and a half game gap, two and a half game gap there. But then you have the Wizards, Bucks, and Heat all battling for six through eight seeds. So that could get interesting as well. All all I'm saying is I don't I if I were Raptors, Celtics, or the Cavs at the top three of those seeds, I would not want to see the Bucks in the first round. I'm I am sorry. Like any of those three teams, Wizards, Bucks, Heat, I don't want to see Giannis in the first round. So right now, as it as it sits, if this was a first round matchup, like the Celtics could be in a lot of trouble. Like the Celtics without Kyrie Irving in the first round of the playoffs, that that's what what happens when they reevaluate him in three weeks. Like that could be a first round upset waiting to happen yeah. for the box. 
That's, I mean, I think wherever you look, as we're looking at potential playoff matchups in the first round in both conferences, I think the great thing, as we're excitedly getting ready for this, and of course, you know, Bulls fans especially, it's been a tough season to watch these Bulls regular season games. Those of us who are not just Bulls fans, but NBA fans in general are, you know, cha- uh, champing at the bit, waiting for these playoffs to get going and hoping that what we're going to get is something more entertaining and more of an uncertainty as opposed to last season's NBA playoffs, which was, all right, well, we're going to get Cavs Warriors again, and it probably won't be very interesting or exciting how we get there. And there were a lot of dud playoff matchups on our way to the third installment of Cavs Warriors uh, last season. And I think even coming into this year, with even with the Kyrie to Boston trade, everybody, again, was gearing up for Cavs Warriors Part 4. Because as good as the Celtics may have been, you still, you know, the finals, if you're trying to get to the finals from the East, you still got to go through LeBron. Nobody really thought that anything would change there. And that was how this season started. Everybody's saying, yeah, well, it's going to be Cavs Warriors again. Now, that is n- not even close to a foregone conclusion. With all these interesting matchups in both conferences, that's the exciting thing about as we're getting close to these playoffs, we have no idea what's going to happen. And that is always way more fun than knowing all right well you know we're not getting any first round upsets we probably won't get any second round upsets these are the teams that are going to be in the conference finals these are teams going to going to be in the finals it's a lot more fun to watch when you have no idea what happens and the fact that maybe some potential first round upsets are, are lurking out there we're going to take a short break here on locked on bulls we'll be right back with this week in bulls history after our word from our sponsor follow locked on bulls on social media on Twitter at Locked On Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. And on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Locked On Chai Bulls. Stay up to date with everything Chicago Bulls at LockedOnBulls.com. And subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts. All right, Matt, let's get into our Tuesday segment of This Week in Bulls History. What do you have for me today? All right, we're going to go way back on my first one, Jordan. And so far back that footage of this game isn't even on YouTube. (laughs) But on March 27th, 1968, the Chicago Bulls win their first ever playoff game as an NBA franchise beating the Los Angeles Lakers 104-98 behind 41 points from Flynn Robinson, a guy who only spent part of two consecutive seasons with the Bulls, a guy who also went on to have an all-star season with the Milwaukee Bucks, won a title in 1972 with the LA Lakers. So this was, you know, the a still a very young Bulls franchise, just 1966. This is 1968 where they get their first playoff win as a franchise. They do lose this series to the Lakers. This was the only win they got in the series. Um, and those Lakers, led by Jerry West and Elgin Baylor, would go on to lose to Bill Russell's Celtics in the NBA Finals. But uh, I thought this was uh, pretty fascinating. You know, don't didn't know much about Flynn Robinson and did some history on his career. Uh, a, a very solid NBA player actually had comparisons on basketball reference to uh, Ben Gordon, of all people. Um, but man, 41 points from him 
other notable people involved in that game, Jerry Sloan came off the bench and scored 14 for the Bulls in their first ever playoff win as a franchise. But Flynn Robinson, who passed away in 2013, 41 points to lead the Bulls to their first ever playoff victory against the Los Angeles Lakers. So I have one that's not not particularly particularly uh, on court, but this one comes as of one that a lot of Bulls fans like to bring up when there's a lot of negativity going on in the front office. This brings us all the way back to late 2010, in which Vinny Del Negro spent his final few games as the Bulls head coach. Uh, without, honestly, without um, without this happening, I don't. I think Vinny Del Negro might have been around the team um, following this 2010 season, where the Bulls remember, if you remember this, in March they dropped 10 straight games after Joe Kim Noah was hurt; he couldn't play. This is where this fight started. So this is the the famous John Paxson, Vinny Del Negro choke out in practice argument uh, that sort of held on and sort of was the end of Vinny Del Negro's time here in Chicago. And it all centered around playing Joakim Noah um, and exceeding his time limits. The doctors had ordered him to play a certain amount of time and he couldn't go over those minutes. Well, Vinny Del Negro obviously did this in multiple games. Joakim Noah looked like he was hurt in a lot of those games playing extended minutes. Uh, it seems like John Paxson was not a fan of that. Both of them got into an altercation that ended up turning physical. Um, the reports out there are a little bit different, but ultimately this story is classic in the terms of a guy in Vinny Del Negro who was putting himself before the young players, maybe had a feeling that he was going to be ousted as coach at the end of the season, dropping 10 games in a row and nearly falling out of that first round of the playoffs. Um, certainly not a great look for the Bulls, and this was one of those memorable storylines that I think a lot of Bulls fans can remember. Um, but weird, weird circumstances that this team had going into 2010 and following up to a playoff run, too, in which you had young D. Rose, you had Joakim Noah, you had Luol Deng in his upcoming, like you had Taj Gibson as well. This team was at, at the peak of getting ready to be a real playoff contender in the East, and then you had something like this go on, a an off-the-court issue, not only with front office, but Vinny Del Negro. Can you remember anything specific when you were thinking back to 2010 and this happened? Do you think of anything specific that uh, flew around this storyline, I mean, I I remember it being a a big a big thing when that kind of started to leak out that okay yeah there was some kind of argument and then maybe it actually became physical and just kind of laughing at the at the ridiculousness of it you the, you know this Bulls team that has for years under Paxson and and Gar Foreman talked about the you know building a positive culture and things like that and you get this kind of thing happening between your front office and your head coach Vinny I think has always been a little bit of a hothead so maybe there was just you know a lot of tension and a lot of differing of opinions between these guys and have finally boiled over but the thing that I always think back to as far as the irony of what exactly specifically caused this argument and this altercation between them is the fact that they were mad about 
Vinny playing Joakim too many minutes, and they fire Vinny and then hire Tibbs. And what is the big problem that the front office has with Tom Thibodeau? Uh, playing guys too many minutes. So it's like you you ousted one guy to get rid of this problem and bring in this other guy who, to Tibbs' credit, improved the Bulls' you know win-loss record by 20 wins in his first season, wins coach of the year, takes this team all the way to the conference finals. So all of those wonderful things as – you know, Tom Thibodeau comes onto the scene in his first head coaching gig and looks like one of the best coaches in the league all of a sudden. But it's still funny that when Tibbs finally lost out, when he got fired at the end of the 2015 season that ended with the Bulls' elimination at the hands of Cleveland in the second round, there were a lot of different reasons given, and Paxson and Reinsdorf and everybody said it's about communication and trust and open lines, and really a lot of it had to do with, well... Thibodeau didn't want to listen to what they had to say when it came to how exactly he was choosing to play his guys. So Vinny had the same problem. Yeah, so just to kind of follow up real quick in a funny turn of events, if you read through this story from Melissa Isaacson all the way back in 2010, she reported on this entire story after the season had concluded. But one of the things that I guess I forgot about was it reads at the end of the story, it says, Against the Phoenix Suns on March 30th, Del Negro used Noah two minutes over the limit despite having seven seven chances to take him out in the last two minutes where there was a foul dead ball or a timeout. The source said Paxson viewed that as Del Negro putting himself above the player and organization and found it inexcusable. The most recent flap over Noah's playing time was Friday against the New Jersey Nets. This one gets really interesting and it proved costly to the Bulls as they chased the final playoff spot in the East. Del Negro said assistant coach Lindsey Hunter to ask Foreman if he could play Noah late in a close game with serious playoff implications. Foreman contacted Paxson who greenlighted Noah exceeding his minutes. But Del Negro didn't get his full answer until the first of two overtimes. Meanwhile, the Nets Brooklyn Lo- Brooke Lopez converted an offensive rebound in the final seconds of regulation and the Nets won in double overtime. So the constant battle of whether or not they were allowed to play Joakim Noah if he could be in these pressure spots, um, moving down the stretch, needed him healthy for the playoffs. But at the same time, the Bulls were battling for that eighth spot in the playoffs to try and be a playoff team after losing 10 in a row without Joakim Noah. So a lot of flares and the word loopholes was used three or four times in terms of whether or not Del Negro was trying to find a way to put Noah in the game outside of all these restrictions the front office had given him. But kind of funny, two of the coaches that followed um, one in particular in Del Negro and then Tom Thibodeau. Clearly, obviously, one of the biggest things here was communication and putting the team ahead of maybe his coaching success. And that was part of the problem with Tom Thibodeau is like he didn't want to listen. And like you had said, and this is sort of similar to Vinny Del Negro, but uh, very interesting storyline all the way back from 2010. That was eight years ago uh, this week. This one is I mean, probably one of the greatest moments in Bulls Nation history. This one comes on March 28th, 1990. It is the career high in points for the one, the only, his heiress, Michael Jordan, the GOAT. 69 points against the Cleveland Cavaliers in an overtime win, 117 to 113. MJ actually also had 18 rebounds in this game to along with six assists and four steals. One of those rebounds was an offensive rebound after I believe Horace Grant missed a field goal late. 
MJ gets the offensive rebound and then gets fouled and hits both free throws to ice the game and get his point total at 69. You look at his uh, free throws and field goal attempts, 21 of 23 from the free throw line, 23 of 37 from the field, so 62%, hit two of his six three-point attempts. And uh, the the detail that is really great about this one, uh, not only is it MJ's all-time career high, and that in and of itself is great, but this came in a game where leading up to the game in a game preview in a Cleveland newspaper, Craig Elo was praised for his defensive capabilities as one of the better guys in the league when it came to shutting down Michael Jordan, which is funny because even before this happened, MJ had his famous the shot over Craig Elo in game five to eliminate Cleveland and upset them in, a, in the, the first round playoff series. But even still, Elo was known as a guy who could guard Jordan better than most. And the funny thing is that Jordan responded to that newspaper article when asked to comment, saying about Elo, he's good. I consider it a challenge to play against him. And then went out and <laughs> dropped 69 points on Craig Elo. Just classic MJ stuff. Yeah, I saw a picture of um, somebody had done a pretty solid Photoshop job of Michael Jordan and said this is what Michael Jordan would look like if he played in 2018 in the NBA. And he had the... He had the shaved sides with the top curly, like, I don't know what the hairdo's called, but um, sort of like what I guess like Jalen Brown has right now in terms of hairstyle, and then he had tattoos all over him. It was like the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen, but it was kind of funny because it made me start thinking like, what, how would MJ look, or how would he dress himself, or the way he looked now differ from back in the 90s, like, you know, the hoop earring was huge for him, and um, just the classic look of MJ, I feel like all this, these tattoos and um, hairstyles and everything is so different now in the league that MJ probably would have looked a completely different than he did back in the 90s, but it was a great Photoshop job. I don't know who did it on Twitter. It's been going around the last couple days, but it was pretty funny to see, and I was like, wow. That's- I just, man, I can't, I can't see MJ any other way than... 90s totally shaved head MJ. <laughs> Me either. You know, I, you know, tongue hanging out. If it's if it's a pre or post game press conference, he's in a nice suit. You know, the the kind of like big baggy 90s kind of suits that the players would wear. With you know, as you mentioned, it definitely rocking an earring or two. But obviously, like I've seen the footage of the early mid late 80s Jordans before he shaved his head. And had some hair up there, for like from the the eighty seven and eighty eight dunk contest when MJ still has some hair on his head, but I I was too young to remember those earliest days of Jordan. And the way I will always remember Jordan is shaved head, just classic shaved head look. It's it's iconic. I feel like a lot of other players try to replicate it. Even those players who aren't actually going bald, they just do the the shaved head look because I mean MJ made bald look beautiful. Who, who other than MJ and who better than MJ can say, I took something that most men fear, most men hate, most men don't want to contemplate, and I said, you know what? I'm going to shave my head. I'm going to go with the bald look. And he made it look so good. Seeing MJ with like a modern style fade or like a flat top. or Because yeah. <laughs> also, like that was, the, that was a great thing. Scotty rocked the flat top so well. And it was Batman and Robin with contrasting hairstyles, and it just worked so well together. And then you added Rodman, <laughs> yeah. so it was, you know, bald, flat top, 
dyed hair. It was all just, oh, it was too Well, perfect. I think that's going to about do it here on this week in Bulls history. Still got one more segment coming up for you. Speaking of Rodman, real quick, though, uh, him and Kanye West hanging out together. If you saw that picture or didn't get a chance to see that picture, we have it up on Locked on Bulls on our Twitter feed at Locked on Bulls. But, uh, yeah, Dennis Rodman not looking too good uh, these days. So I don't know if you've seen him recently. Yeah, he he'd had, he also like put a video up on his Twitter account uh, talking about March for Our Lives, which, you know, good for him for wanting to get involved in, in something like that. But he was so unintelligible in the video. It's like he couldn't hold a train of thought. He was trying to rattle off the names of all these celebrities that were getting involved in March for Our Lives and was like having trouble saying their names remembering their names and it just he just looked a little a little scatterbrained so i don't know if that's because he's still struggling and is still successfully sober and his brain just doesn't work when he's sober sadly or maybe he fell off the wagon and was you know messed up in some way maybe he was drunk i don't know but i saw that video and i was like man dennis is just he's i he's all over the place. I, I really, I always root for him, and whether it's you know his his battle with with uh, you know addiction and whatever it is, and all these weird headlines about you know DUIs here and visits to you know North Korea there, it's also weird. But I, I just remember him so fondly from those Bulls years that I always root for him, and sometimes it's kind of hard. Yeah, to do that. Uh, very strange as his career was after the fact of playing in the NBA. All right, one more segment here. We want to. I want to convince you, Matt, that Chris Dunn's name should be thrown in the pool of players for comeback player of the year. As I was reading up on some of the players that were part of this this year, that obviously are going to be considered. Um, obviously, Chris Dunn's not going to win it, so I'm going to say that right off the bat. But the fact that I think a lot of NBA experts who've been talking about this award have continuously left Chris Dunn's name out of the mix, I think is not fair, first of all, to him. And if you look at his total body of work, and especially when he's been healthy, because I feel like that's been the biggest consideration about Chris Dunn here in this award and why he's probably not going to win it, but he should definitely be up there, the top five players, is all these freak injuries and missing time here and there, uh, especially at the beginning of the season, and then having to miss time with the concussion, and then kind of this weird thing going on with the Bulls and trying to tank, but not tank, but uh, cover it up from the league, but also get evaluate our young players, all this weird stuff going on, not giving Chris Dunn some, some consistency here at the end of the year. Um, but for him, I think you look at the numbers and it says it all, like, uh, just listen to this. So the four four major categories I feel like that you should consider right off the bat instead of like looking at advanced analytics first is minutes per game, points per game, rebounds per game, and assists per game. So the biggest increases per game averages from 16 and 17 to 17 and 18 this year. Chris Dunn's a part of the top five in three of those four categories. So minutes per game played, Chris Dunn has increased in 12.3 minutes per game. Um, Jalen Brown, Justin Holiday, Torian Prince, Kyle Anderson are just above him with about a less than a minute uh, ahead of those guys. But points per game, Chris Dunn is first. So Chris Dunn has a 9.8 point points per game differential from last season. Then it's Tyreek Evans, Victor Oladipo, Jalen Brown, and then Jonathan Simmons. Rebounds per game, Demonis Sabonis, Enos Cantor, Aaron Gordon, Clint Capella, Damari Carroll. And then in assists per game, Spencer Dinwiddie, Chris Dunn at 3.6 
assists per game, Jerry and Grant 2.9, Lou Williams and Karius Levert. So Chris Dunn, a part of the top five in three of those four categories. I think if you look at the overall development, especially in that 10-game run where the Bulls went on the seven-game winning streak, Nico came back, the Bulls looked red hot. They were playing really well. Chris Dunn was playing phenomenally. I think the one thing that hurt his honors in this is the fact that he got the concussion. He was out for nearly three weeks, and he was coming off uh, hot starts, learning how to play with Zach Levine. But I think for what it's worth, Chris Dunn has has surprised a lot of people in this league. I think surprised a lot of Bulls fans this year. And I think it goes underestimated around the NBA, especially in terms of experts that are talking about this. Obviously, other guys in this conversation are going to be guys like Victor Oladipo and Clint Capella. And even you could throw Julius Randle's name in there. Spencer Dinwiddie could be a part of this conversation. Drew Holiday. Um, and even Jamal Murray and Etuan Moore are also candidates. But what do you think about Chris Dunn in terms of being at least just considered? Obviously not going to win the award because I think Victor Oladipo is going to win this award uh, this year. But throwing Chris Dunn's name in there and av- I- I- honestly just taking a look at the numbers, um, does it make you a little bit – Does he, I guess I should say does it make you feel a lot better than maybe at – in the summer, what you thought Chris Dunn was going to come off, all the unknowns of what Chris Dunn was going to be, and seeing all these numbers being raised up and being put in the na- in the likes of guys like Jalen Brown and Victor Oladipo and some of these other guys who've turned it around this year. All right, well, first thing we need to make clear is that comeback player of the year in the NBA does not actually technically exist. It is the NBA Most Improved Player Award. It used to be Comeback Player of the Year, and then many years ago they changed it to Most Improved Player. So if you're talking about who actually deserves Most Improved Player, the word that is real and exists, it's got to be Victor Oladipo. I mean, no question. You mentioned his points increase was below Chris Dunn's, but he was averaging 15.9 last season with OKC. This season, it's 23.2. But, I mean, you go to some of his more advanced stats, and Victor Oladipo's player efficiency rating went from 13.6 to 22.2. His win shares jumped from 4 to 6.9 already. His value over replacement player went from 0.4 to 3.5. I mean, it's it's the eye test and the stats. Like, clearly, Oladipo is going to win most improved player this year. If you want to talk about, in a hypothetical situation, what if most improved player and comeback player were two different awards that existed, and comeback player was more about a guy who had a down year the previous season and came back and bounced back strongly, then yeah, I think Chris Dunn is certainly more of a candidate for that kind of award because he really did not much of anything as a rookie of Minnesota, like three points a game and not a whole lot of minutes played and didn't get an opportunity. The other thing that I think hurts Chris Dunn here, and and you mentioned it with the various injuries, he only played 52 games. You know, who knows if he's going to play again before the Bulls wind out this season. They've got, you know, eight or nine games left, whatever it is. But so even if he does come back and play a few, he's still not even going to get to 60 games this season. And you talk about some guys who are in that conversation, as you mentioned, Jalen Brown, Clint Capella, others outside of Oladipo, Spencer Dinwiddie. I just don't think there's enough of a body of work. I mean, if you look at Dunn's numbers from December and January when the Bulls were playing well, and he was running that offense. He was averaging between those two months and 
24 games in that span of two months, 14.8 points on 43% shooting and eight and 7.7 assists and 2.2 steals. That's solid for your starting point guard. But that was only December and January. That was only a stretch of 24 games. So I just don't think that the body of work is enough to really put him into the conversation of legitimate candidate for that award. And again, the comeback player, Chris Dunn, fits more into that category. But comeback player doesn't actually exist. There's a huge difference between those two. But like you had said, most improved players probably going to go to Victor Oladipo. But while we're talking about Chris Dunn real fast... Uh, just to kind of compare his numbers, because even though he's only played in 52 games, he's actually played in 200 more minutes this season than in the 78 games that he played with the Minnesota Timberwolves last year. Obviously, not that big, not that big of a surprise considering he's only averaging 17.1 minutes per game with the Wolves last year in his rookie year. But every number you look across the board for Chris Dunn has improved. 13.4 points per game this year. Um, that's that's five, almost five times better than what he did against with the Timberwolves. His assists per game is up nearly triple from 2.4 to 6 assists per game. He's averaging double the steals that he had last year. He's averaging two assist steals per game. Um, his field goal percentage... Yeah, you know who's leading the league with 2.3? Victor Oladipo. Oh, okay. Well... I'm not denying Victor Oladipo because he, the man has been unbelievable, especially with the Paul George um, kind of factor. The headline behind that, too, I think makes this story all too great. Um, but in terms of the development of Chris Dunn this year, and obviously 52 games, I wish we could have seen more out of him uh, this year. The freak accidents as well. But field goal percentage is up to five, over 5%. Overall, uh, his three-point percentage is over 32%, which is higher than he had last year. Like, you just look at across the board, and Chris Dunn has improved dramatically, especially offensively. And I think one more thing, if you want to look at his advanced analytics, his true shooting percentage is nearly at 50%. Right now, compared to last year, it was hanging around 39 to 40%. Um, his offensive box plus minus and his defensive box plus minus um, has improved as well. I think he's cut the offensive box plus minus, which is your average per 100 possessions against the average player in the NBA and what they do in comparison. And he went from a negative 3.7 last year to a negative 1.5 this year. His defensive box plus minus is at a 1.3 this year. So stayed around the same level of defensive uh, efficiency as he was last season, but I think he's improved and taken those steps as an offensive player, and it speaks in the uh, advanced analytics as well. So, um, not only doing that, but his usage percentage is way up to nearly double from what it was last season at 24.8%, and his assist percentage, too, as a point guard is nearly double at 33.2%. So, all good, really good things from Chris Dunn, and I think if you're evaluating just what these core players have done this season. I think you can't have any, like, you can be concerned a little bit about what you've seen from Zach Levine over the last six, eight weeks. But um, outside of the injuries, Chris Dunn has been probably the most impressive bull out of anybody on this team this year. I don't know if you you have any type of debate between him and Lowry Markkinen, but I've been really impressed with what Chris Dunn, and I'm really excited to see what he's able to do coming off and off season with the core guys that um, are supposed to be, you know, the future of the Chicago Bulls. So I'm really excited to see the next step in that third year in the NBA, which everybody uses that as a benchmark as sort of that third year is really when you can tell whether 
uh, a player is going to take that next step the way that they were supposed to or if they're going to fall off and sort of be that same player. Yeah, and that's kind of what we saw from Bobby Portis this year, right? I mean, everybody wondered year three, are we going to see a significant jump or are we going to see a guy who is just maybe a bit of a bust? And Bobby certainly has done all that he could do to prove to everybody in in his third year that he's he's a guy worth keeping around and hopefully the same will be true for Chris Dunn and you know I I agree I'm encouraged by a lot of what we saw from Dunn in that stretch where he was healthy and the Bulls were playing well as a team and he was leading that offense um I still you know I, I still have certain limitations as far as what I think his ceiling in the NBA can be but he can definitely be an elite perimeter defender and if he continues to work on various elements of his offensive game, like continuing to work with Hoiberg on his shot this offseason, continuing to work on finishing better at the rim, getting to the free throw line, all of these things, he can turn himself into a legitimate starting point guard in this league. And hopefully next season, we'll see a full healthy season. Well, that's going to about do it here on Locked on Bulls. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Locked on Bulls, at Jordan C. Malley, and at Bulls underscore Peck. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked on Shy Bulls. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. Make sure you're following the Locked on Podcast Network on Facebook and Twitter as well. Dash Radio, dashradio.com, and the Dash Radio app on the Nothing But Net channel. We're live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. That's Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central Time. DashRadio.com and the Dash Radio app, 100% free, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year of nothing but basketball talk on the Nothing But Net channel. New text and voicemail line, 331-979-1369. Hit us up with all of your thoughts wherever you're listening to the show, whenever you're listening to the show. Make sure you're interacting with us if you've got reaction to what we're talking about here on the show this week or at any time, please send us a text. Save this number in your phone as Locked On Bulls at 331-979-1369. We gave away our Kirk Heinrich autographed framed plaque photo to one of our lucky guests on Twitter. We have another giveaway coming this week, so make sure you're paying attention to our social media feeds and staying locked here on Locked On Bulls. But for Matt Peck, for Jordan Malley, have a wonderful day, Bulls Nation. Enjoy Rockets and Bulls tonight. We are out. Locked on Bulls, a show for the most passionate fan base in the NBA. Hosts Jordan Malley and Matt Peck dive into the best Bulls news and stories around the NBA. Locked on Bulls is live on Dash Radio every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central. For more content and to stay up to date, head over to LockedOnBulls.com, part of FanRag Sports.